What is theology? That's a good question. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Church Questions, a place where listeners like you can ask questions about theology, history, leadership, church culture, or anything else having to do with successful Christian living in today's world. I am your host, Pastor Don McKegg, and today's question is, what is theology? I love this question because I think this is probably one of those words that a lot of Christian people have heard before. They are familiar that it has something to do with the academic side of Christianity, but they're not 100% sure what theology is. But not only that, there's probably a better question or a deeper question is, is this something that your average Christian needs to know about, or is this something really that's just for the pastors and the academics. So I'll ask it in two parts, or or we'll look at it in two ways. What is theology, and is this something that you need to care about? To help us understand the point of theology, and before we get into the definition of theology, it'll be helpful for us to place it within the context of our faith. And uh, to do that, we're going to look at the three parts that make up any religion. And I say that with a little bit of an asterisk there because people, experts in these fields for a very long time have been looking at every single religion that they can find across not just the current world, but the the entirety of humanity. And they've looked at every religion that every group and tribe and people have ever had. And what they're trying to do is find some succinct similarities that every single one of those religions has. And as you might imagine, it's a fairly impossible task. But what they have done is they found three parts that make up the overwhelming majority of religions, including the major players in the world today. So what are those three parts that make up a religion, Christianity or otherwise? There is a belief, number one. Number two, there is a feeling. And number three, a way of behaving. We might use phrases like doctrine, attitude, and practices. There's a way to think, there's a way to believe, and then there's a or a way to, to feel, and then there is something that you do afterwards. So that's the th- the three things that make up a religion and theology is focused on the belief side or the doctrines side. It doesn't necessarily concern itself with our feelings on things and it doesn't necessarily concern ourselves with our doings on things, but we could make the argument that once we believe something properly, then our feelings and our actions will line up with it. So here's a really quick and simple example. Uh, The theology of Christianity is going to present the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. The belief, then, is that Jesus is the Messiah. The action is, I will worship him and him alone. So belief teaches something, the feeling accepts, and now the action does whatever needs to be done according to that new information. With that said, if we were to look at a like dictionary definition of theology, it's going to say it's the study or science of God. And and that's true in that theos is a word for God, and ology is that like study of biology, 
physiology, psychology, the ology, the study of things. But a more comprehensive definition uh, is one that I like. It's from a guy named Millard Erickson who wrote a really good book called Christian Theology. That is not a coffee table book. That is an actual deep dive into theological positions. But if you want to get a little more information on Christian theology, I highly recommend Millard Erickson. But this is what he says about theology. It's the discipline, like discipline. Math is a discipline. Science is a discipline. Literature is a discipline. It's the discipline that concerns itself with describing, analyzing, criticizing, and organizing the doctrines. That is theology. So we have these doctrines, we have these beliefs, we need some kind of way to describe those beliefs, to analyze those beliefs, to criticize other people's views of the beliefs, because we wouldn't certainly criticize our own beliefs. Uh, That was sarcastic. And we need a way to organize these beliefs. All of those things go into what it is to study or know or be aware of theology. In that book that I mentioned, Erickson has a much deeper definition even in that. So he says it's the discipline that strives to give a coherent statement of the doctrines of the Christian faith based primarily on scriptures placed in the context of culture in general, worded in a contemporary idiom related to issues of life. That's pretty big. We'll dive into what all of those things mean. But before we do that, I guarantee you that there are some of you listening right now that are thinking, Pastor Don, why can't we just read the Bible and do what it says? Why are we wasting all of our time and our precious energy getting lost in these academic thoughts? All you have to do is read the Bible and do what it says. It's that simple. Stop overcomplicating our faith. You don't need 17 letters after your name to understand what's going on in Scripture. Just read the Bible and do what it says. And to you, sir or madam, I would say, I agree with you Some what? I, I somewhat agree with that position. I do agree that there are people that overcomplicate Christianity. I also believe that you do not need 17 letters behind your name in order to understand what's happening in Scripture. However, I would not ever want anyone to make fun of somebody who has given their lives, or at least a strong portion of their adult years, to the academics of our faith, in striving to understand God, his scriptures, his history, and what God wants with his people, I would never want to make fun of anybody who has given their life or strong portions of their life to understanding God in faith in a deeper way, particularly when those people do it so they can become teachers to help the rest of the church. So let's not make fun of people who approach Christianity differently than you, but we still need to acknowledge that not everybody needs to go down that route. But I disagree with the idea that we should just read the Bible, do what it says, and that that somehow is separated from, the, from theology. And here's where I think a lot of people get this wrong. Theology is not something that we can choose or not choose to engage in. It's not that we can choose to be theologians, we can choose to make theological stances on things or not, because we are always making theological choices. The question is whether or not we're making good ones. So let's go to this example. 
Just read the Bible and do what it says. Well, let's pick a verse that most people are familiar with, Matthew 28. Go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age. If you read that, and you and your conclusion is, ah, I am a disciple, I therefore need to go into the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus will be with me. If that's how you read that scripture, congratulations, you have made a theological judgment. Again, what is the theology of things? It describes, analyzes, criticizes, and organizes belief. You have made a choice on how that particular scripture is supposed to be interpreted. Because what many of you may not know is that for the vast majority of the Western interpretation of that scripture, it is not that all Christians should go to the far reaches of the earth with the gospel. It's that the apostles that Jesus was talking to were supposed to. The reason why we now have a new interpretation of this is because of the modern missions movement theologians were able to help the rest of the church reinterpret that scripture to not just be about the apostles, but about Christians today. Because in the West, at least, the overwhelming majority of people, at least in Protestantism, had a viewpoint that said, if God wanted people in other countries saved, he'd save them. He'd do it himself. He'd make the rocks cry out, and that that would be who preached the gospel. And it was the missionaries like Adoniram Judson, I know I just butchered that name, that started to convince the world, no, 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 no. We are supposed to bring the gospel. We are supposed to go into the far reaches of the earth. And so I just tell you all of that to say this. Every single time that we are reading something in Scripture, and then choosing to do something with that, if it changes the way that we think, the way that we feel, or something we do, we've made a theological assessment of how to interact with that Scripture. That is the purpose of theology. Again, I want to make the point that we cannot choose to disengage from theology. Every single time we read Scripture, we're engaging in theology. The question isn't if we are, but how well we're doing it. So you are already engaged in theology, but a lot of people have disjointed theology or theology with gaps in it or holes in it because they're not sure that they were supposed to engage in cohesive thought or there's a way to have cohesive thought. And so the theologians of the past and of today are working to help the church have consistent quality thought about the things of God and his desires for us his desires for his world, and how we should be interacting with the world. But again, Millard Erickson gave this very big uh, definition, the discipline that strives to give a coherent statement of the doctrines of Christian faith based primarily on the scriptures placed in the context of culture in general, worded in a contemporary idiom related to issues of life. Within that definition, there are five elements that go into a comprehensive, good quality Theology. Again, we're not talking about whether somebody can engage in theology. You're already engaged in theology. The fact that you accepted the salvation of Christ means that you've made a theological statement. 
you believe that the scriptures have pointed you in the right direction that whoever would call in the name of the Lord can be saved. You accepted it and are now a Christian. Welcome to theology. You've made your first choice. Here are the five elements that make up good theology then. The first is that theology is biblical. The primary source for developing doctrine is the Bible using good biblical research techniques. This might sound fundamental and basic to a lot of you, and because in many ways it is, but in the same way, whenever we start watching something like professional athletes engaged at a high level of sport, sometimes their minds are working at such a high level or they're doing so many other things that the fundamentals sometimes begin to slip. I am an American football fan. I just am. I played it. I enjoy watching it. And one of the things that happens sometimes with a position called a receiver, these are the people that catch the ball when somebody throws it. The fundamentals of the position are catch the ball, then run. But when you're watching like college and professional players, they're not just thinking about catch the ball and run. They have to run a perfect route. They have to worry about a defender right in their face. They have to worry about other defenders that could get into the zone. They have to be aware of where the sideline is. They have to be aware of where their other teammates are. They have to be aware of the fact that the quarterback might be looking left but meaning to throw it right. They've got a ton of stuff going on in their head, and just every now and then you'll watch one of these high-level athletes get concerned with the other stuff that they kind of forget to catch the ball and then run. Their head's turned, they don't put their hands up, something like that. And I'm not picking on any one receiver. I've I've made no names. I've mentioned no names, not picking on anybody's team. It's just uh, you got a lot going on in your head, sometimes a fundamental slip. I would say that about the idea that theology is biblical. It is a fundamental. But when we start adding information to this, and we start adding other disciplines of study and academia into this, and we start adding other cultural elements to this, and we start having real conversations with real people about theological issues, sometimes we can let slip that the Bible needs to be the first port of call when picking up information about God. Not the human sciences, not the hard sciences, not philosophy, first the Bible. And we'll talk about what to do with that other stuff in just a little bit. So first, the theology. Theology is biblical. Second of all, theology is systematic. Now, I know some of you just had your hair turn white and get afraid because I said systematic theology. Systematic theology is notorious in academic circles, is one of the scariest things that somebody could ever endeavor to do. Worse than climbing a mountain or fighting a lion. It's terrifying. Systematic theology. I'm, of course, being sarcastic. I don't know why it has this aura of being scary. All systematic theology is, or all we mean when we say theology is systematic, is that Scripture needs to be looked at as a whole rather than selectively using individual verses. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about Scripture in these terms. I hope this is helpful. But Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation is a single thought. It's a single thought. There is a divine author in God. He exists outside of time, and though he revealed Scripture to us over time, he had the whole thing in his mind at once. And so it is one singular thought from beginning to end. Therefore, as we are trying to figure out 
our beliefs of who God is, who we are, and how we're supposed to interact with God and each other, we need to recognize that we cannot pull from Scripture individual isolated thoughts because it was delivered as a singular thought. So the only way for us to accurately develop doctrines, develop beliefs, is to look at the whole of Scripture. And here's a really good example of how theologians have done this. So we're just answering the question, what is theology, and is it helpful for Christian people today? We're not even talking about what theology like the points that theology studies. But if you were to dive into the study of theology, what are the actual doctrines that theologies come up with? What are the beliefs that Christianity has based on theology? Every single study that I'm aware of starts with the nature of God. And I think that's a good place to start. And the nature of God is in Trinity. It's in triune, the, the triunity. Trinity. And it's the, the Trinity is this. The nature of God is that there is one God, but he has revealed himself as three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, divine, equal, yet God is still one. Uh, just to add to it, one of the things that I like to talk about whenever I talk about Trinity is to explain the Trinity well is the same thing as trying to explain that you have a three-wheeled unicycle. It's impossible. And why is it impossible, even though people have been trying for a very long time? Because finite people are trying to explain the nature of an infinite God. At some point, we're going to just lack the ability to fully comprehend that the nature of God, though he, in his love and benevolence, has given us the idea that there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even though there is one God. So that's Trinity. I don't want to get lost in Trinity, but that's the nature of God. Theology addresses the idea that Trinity is there. However, there is not a single place anywhere in Scripture that says, thus be the nature of God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's not in Scripture anywhere. There is something that we see in Scripture regularly that we use the word proclamation for. It's proclamation theology. It's a proclamation statement. And what that is is the most simple, surface-level statement of an issue that can be made. And they are super helpful in trying to figure out who God is and what He wants from us. Here's an example of something that's given in a proclamation format. Thou shalt not murder. Oh, what's the interpretation of that? That thou shalt not murder. Oh, love your neighbor as yourself. How should we how should we interpret that? That you should love your neighbor as well as you love yourself? See, these are proclaimed. They are just simple statements that we walk away and we go, "Yep, that's what we're supposed to do with that." However, not every theological statement in scripture is given in that format. The Trinity is a perfect example of that. Nowhere is it just proclaimed what the nature of God is. However, when we look at theology in a systematic way, and we look at the whole of Scripture together, what we find is that God has revealed himself in three distinct persons. All of those three persons are divine, but God is still singular. There are not three gods. There are 
one. And we have scriptures where the three are interacting with each other, like at the end of Matthew 3, um, where we see the Father being baptized, or sorry, we see the Son being baptized, the Spirit descending, and the Father speaking. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. So we see them all there, but it's been theologians that have collected the information, described it, organized it, categorized it, and were able to come up with the idea that the Trinity is the nature of God. And we have a similar thing with the uh, divine and human nature of Jesus. We have similar things with understanding the process of salvation. A lot of our core beliefs have been developed from looking at Scripture as a whole and then defining them from there. So theology has to be systematic, and all that means is that you're looking at Scripture as a whole rather than selectively picking out individual verses. Number three, theology also relates to the issues of general culture and learning. So in other words, a good theological platform is going to address what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in culture. Here's some examples that uh, are perhaps some hot-button issues, but something like creation science. There are scientists who are working diligently to try to tell humanity where everything came from. Where did people come from? Where did earth come from? Where did the stuff that made earth come from? Where did the universe come from? And and they are looking at the, these questions from a scientific place and trying to come up with answers. Theologians equally are answering these questions not necessarily from a scientific place, but from a biblical place. And they are now going to use Scripture to answer these questions. Where did man come from? Where did the earth come from? Where did the universe come from? Where did the origins of it all come from? And so the theologians are taking a modern question, where did we all come from, and answering it from a biblical perspective. While I'm on this topic, I will give you this soapbox or this diatribe or whatever you want to call it. Faith and science are not enemies. They are not at odds with each other. They are bedfellows, and for the vast majority of the history of science, it has been Christians and the church that have funded and supported scientific discoveries until very recently in human history. The majority of scientists were on an endeavor to either understand their God or his creation better. Faith and science are not enemies. They are both in pursuit of truth, and the Christian perspective is that if they both find it, they will find it in God. I hope that helps. We are not at war with science. We embrace science. Uh, there are just people in science uh, that are anti-God, but that does not make science anti-God. So uh, the, the idea then of this number third, this three point, this number, number third, this number three point, this third point is theology also relates to the issues of general culture. So something like creation science or something like human psychology. We're studying the way that the brain works. We're understanding better how emotions work, how people handle trauma and things like anxiety and depression, what family of origin does to a person's psyche. We're learning more and more about all of these things, so we have human uh, development specialists looking at that, and the theologians are going to look at Scripture and see what Scripture says, and now they're going to take the scriptural understanding of human development and human psychology and start to 
apply it against what the field of psychology is looking at, and we're hoping that we can start to develop some really good truths and really good understandings. Number four, theology must be contemporary. I'm so glad this is included. It's the attempt to make timeless lessons relevant for a modern audience. The goal is to present theology in a way that modern people can appreciate it. There are two ways that this endeavor fails. One, and I don't even know which one's more more common, really, but the one is a refusal to update the theological statement to the modern voice. And what happens then is some of these theological perspectives are presented in such a way that you need to be a first century Palestinian to actually understand them or the the nature in in which the the theology was written um, when Jesus was resurrected and the early church was starting. But there are also other theological perspectives that are not stuck in the history of 2,000 years ago, but maybe stuck in the history of 500 years ago or 200 years ago, or 70 years ago. Whenever your denomination was really thriving and flourishing, there are going to be people that in the modern iteration of that denomination can't update. They cannot take the truths that made your denomination special and its origins and update them to a modern language. They're still stuck in the past, and then wonder why the modern world isn't accepting the message. It has nothing to do with good theology. It has everything to do with the fact that you're speaking Elizabethan English, and they have no idea what you're saying, or that you're using evangelism techniques that made sense in a post-World War II world that doesn't make sense in today's world, or you're trying to articulate truths that maybe made sense in Geneva 500 years ago during on the heels of some great... A revolution against the Roman Catholic Church, but in today's world doesn't answer a lot of questions that we might have. I picked on a few, but I didn't name any names. I hope I get everybody. I want to pick on everybody because we all have our issues. Again, that sarcasm. Look, I know I have a dry sense of humor. Every time that you listen to one of these podcasts, I just encourage you to have a bottle of water right next to you whenever you are Uh, assaulted with my dry sense of humor, please just take a drink and we'll be able to move on together. So that's the fourth one. Theology must be contemporary. It can't be understood in the lens of the past. Oh, but here's the other side. Here's where the other pendulum goes. In an attempt to not seem old or antiquated, there is an effort now to update theological perspectives. But one of the things that can happen is a little bit of a creep. I don't mean like Radiohead. I mean like there's a there's a little bit of a creep of changing the message of the theology so that you can stay cool, so that you can stay relevant, so that you can stay in line with modern thinking. You begin over time to make adjustments to what the theology actually says. And we're cool and we're modern, but we've lost the impact that the theology is supposed to have. And that's the, that's the balance of all of this, is we need to be able to keep the language modern, address modern issues, but we can't change fundamentally what the theological perspective is. I'm thinking off the top of my head here of an example that is something as simple as 
salvation. The salvation message is that salvation comes in two parts. First, we have to repent of our sins, and then we have to accept the salvation of Jesus. The overwhelming majority of people who have ever been saved did both of those things about at the exact same time. But when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at night in John 3, he says that that to be born again, you're going to have to experience things from water and fire. Well, what's the water? That's John's baptism. What's John's baptism? And water. What's fire? The Holy Spirit. And that is just saying that now you are accepting Christ as Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. I probably just jumped into a very, very deep theological place uh, accidentally. I apologize, uh, but bear with me. Scripture points to the idea that it's two things going on. We have to repent, and then we have to accept salvation in Christ. There are a lot of churches that are these hip, cool churches. And look, I want to be a hip, cool pastor. I have cool sneakers, too. There's a lot of these churches, though, that have changed the message from repent and be saved to just be saved. There's not any idea of being repentant. And sin is no longer the willful rebellions of God's enemy, but these little mistakes that we've made. Here's what you need to know while I'm on the subject. Jesus did not die a horrific death on the cross and fight back death himself because you made a mistake. He endured his passion because you and I were enemies of God, willful rebellions in the war for rebels, in the war for our souls. And God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to break us out of our rebellion and turn us from enemies into allies so that we can be his children. Sin is not a little mistake that we made. It is a willful rebellion against our God in heaven. That's sin. We have to repent of that. The king in this battle is saying, you no longer have to be my enemy. You are now. You don't have to be. Would you like to change sides? Yes, I would. I'm sorry for my crimes against you. I'm sorry for breaking your laws. I'm I'm sorry for being a rebel against you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Now. I will follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I will now be filled with the Holy Spirit. I will now be included into the church, and I will now experience eternal life. It's a two-part process. There are a lot of churches today, and their attempt to be overly modern and overly cool and overly hip that are only teaching one part. I get a lot of people are upset about this. If you want me to dive in deeper on this and show you some scripture, I encourage you, send a question to questions at donmckeg.com. We'll try to get to it and feature that question on the podcast moving forward. Uh, but I think you get my understanding. We can't be stuck in the past, but we also can't change the message. Here's the final point of theology. Theology has to be practical. Now, practical theology is actually a thing. It's like a, 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 a degree you can earn. Uh, Practical theology is basically this. There are practical aspects to ministry, like preaching, like counseling, etc. Practical theology are the beliefs of Scripture that you need to do the functions of ministry. It's the practical side of theology. But that's not really a great term because all theology should be practical. Theology is not just intellectual stimuli— because look, I get it. I'm in. I've been in this world. I consider myself a theologian, 
my undergraduate degree is in theology. I like studying this stuff, and a lot of us in the field really do like sitting around for hours at a time debating and talking through nuances and this and that and the other and talking about histories here, there, and the other. And it's just about intellectual stimuli. But at the end of the day, theology is meant to be practical. It should affect our beliefs and it should affect our actions. It should create actions in our lifestyle on some level. Otherwise, the entire pursuit of theology is for the reaction that says, oh, well, that's neat. And frankly, I think that God has a lot more going on in his kingdom and a bigger plan for his people than for us to sit around going, huh, well, that's neat. But he wants us to be inspired by whatever revelation we just got to believe differently and then to do something differently. So anyway, all of that said, what is theology? It's the study or science of God. Better def- definition, it's the disciple or sorry, it's the discipline that concerns itself with describing, analyzing, criticizing, and organizing the doctrines. Is this something that all Christian people need to be aware of? I think so. I think so. That's not to say that everybody needs to get this book by Millard Erickson and everybody needs to become an expert in all of the nuances and all of the philosophies that have been developed over 2,000 years. I'm not saying that, but I do think that we should be informed on what we believe and why we believe it according to Scripture. And so if you are interested as a Christian person in knowing not only what we're supposed to be believing, but why we believe it, then I would say that it is worth worth the effort to dive into theology just a little bit. That has been the church question, what is theology? If you would like to have your question featured on the podcast, email it to questions at donmckeg.com. We'll try to get to it. Until then, be blessed, and we'll catch you next time.